Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I'm so glad to be able to welcome each one of you, those of you who are physically present here in the worship center, those of you who are in the venue across our campus in the Resonate service, and the largest online worship crowd we have ever had watching uh, at home or wherever you might be. Some of you are at home in your pajamas, and we're a little bit jealous, right? Uh, But we're glad that you're a part of our service today in this very unusual time and season for our nation and our world. We're able to come together and put our focus upon the Lord and affirm our trust and faith in Him. Uh, And if you've been with us in this series, you know that Uh, We've talked about how many for years have envisioned the Christian faith as a rigid uh, set of rules and rituals. It's just a list, they think, of do's but mostly don'ts. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The Christian faith is the most positive outlook and philosophy and framework for life that one could possibly have. But that being said, it is true that there are a few things that Jesus said to his followers, don't do. Uh, Because he understood that if there are a few things that we don't do, our lives will be richer and fuller and more fulfilling and more satisfying, and our witness for Christ and the gospel will be stronger uh, because of those things we do a different way. And that's, that's been kind of the image we've tried to, uh, to paint this whole series, that there is an alternate route for each of these issues that God wishes for us to go. And we've talked about how common it is in our community these days with all the construction that's been going on that we are called upon to take an alternate route. If you will be coming from the east side of our community next uh, weekend, uh, when you get to the new tollway that's being built, the intersection at 1488 will be closed, and you will have to take an alternate route. Well, uh, sometimes we view that as taking a worse route, but in the case of what Jesus talks to us about, it is by far a better route. He says, with each of these things that I'm telling you don't do, there's another way. There's a, a better way, and there is an alternate route that I'm charging you to take. And so the, the, the theme of the entire series has been this. If you follow Christ, he will always show you a better way. Now, by the way, I said to the, the group that was assembled in the 930 tradition service, uh, even if you're not traditionally an amener, I love it, my wife amens me from the front row every week. Uh, even if that's not kind of your thing, uh, I, I want you to kind of just talk to yourself and give me some amens at appropriate places. All right, thank you. Uh, because it just kind of keeps a passage, it's like saying, sick them to a dog. Okay, and over in the Resonate service, I can hear you if you will amen loud enough, and that'll help me as I try to share the Word of God with you this morning. Last week, we looked at the don't that Jesus challenged us not to do, and it was don't fear. And could there have been a more appropriate 
message and theme from Scripture for what our nation and our world is going through. Don't fear. I mean, and that was planned by our pastoral staff long before any of this came on the scene. But you know what? We might not know the best timing, but God always does. And so if you missed that message last week, I want to encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, or pull up the video uh, there on our website from last week, and listen to the message. Uh, and, and we asked people who were present in our services to fill out a little card and just tell us, what is your number one fear? What are you more fearful of than anything else? And we got hundreds of those back. And many people said illness, especially our older people. Uh, many people said, I'm, I'm afraid of aging. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of being inadequate or not enough. Uh, I'm afraid of insufficient finances to meet the needs of my life and family, and on and on and on. And the, the challenge that I sought to bring to us last week is we don't have to live in fear. There are things that we should be aware of and concerned of and that we should act wisely toward, but we don't have to live in fear. So if you feel like your heart, your life is gripped with fear of something, here was our big idea last week that I hope will stick with us. Jesus is greater than whatever you're afraid of. He is greater than whatever storm, whatever problem, whatever insufficiency there might be in your life. Now, uh, if we say we're not going to live in fear, that doesn't mean we don't take wise precautions. Uh, you know the, the slogan that started in England, uh, keep calm and, you know, fill in the, the blank. I saw a, a T-shirt that said, keep calm and wash your hands. Well, that's a pretty good idea uh, these days, right? Well, I want to change it and kind of have a different slogan. Here's my, my slogan to challenge you with. Live wisely and trust God. Live wisely. Take precautions. That's why in these days we're replacing handshakes and holy hugs with elbow bumps or toe taps or, or uh, holy waves or something like that. Uh, so live wisely. Take good precautions. Uh, and all, all the things that we ought to do, but in the, the midst of it all, trust God. Our God is still in control. He's greater than any of the things that might concern us or tempt us to fear. Well, today we're going to tackle a don't that is probably the broadest subject area of anything we'll deal with in the series. Our theme today, our challenge today is don't sin. Don't sin. That covers a lot, right? Don't sin. Uh, and we hear the word sin, and really we struggle to define what that is. There was a book written a few years ago that says, whatever happened to sin? And, and the idea was it seems like in our culture that people don't think there's anything such a sin anymore. There used to be clear lines of what one should do and shouldn't do, but those lines have become greatly blurred uh, in our very pragmatic and materialistic uh, culture. So what do we even mean when we say sin? Uh, 
some would say, well, it's simple. It's disobeying the laws of God. Well, but if you go back and look at all the laws of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, you'll find there are a lot of things that were relevant and and regulated in the Old Testament that are not applicable still under the New Covenant uh, of grace. So uh, you can't fully understand it just saying it's disobeying the laws of God. It literally means missing the mark. Missing the mark. But what, what, is, what does sin even mean in a practical way? Well, I'm going to give you my best shot at defining sin with a practical definition. Here it is. Sin is intentionally thinking or doing that which is displeasing to God. It's intentionally doing that which is displeasing to God. We, we know that that is not honoring to God, but we do it anyway. We know that attitude is not right and and honoring to God, but we're sticking with that attitude anyway. It is sin when we intentionally go against that which we know is against the heart and intention of God. Now, as I I preach a message that says don't sin, I want you to know this message is not one where I'm going to be wagging my finger at you saying shame, shame, or, you know, don't, don't, don't. Uh, Instead, I want you to see that when God seeks to lead us away from sin, that is his way of protecting the people he loves. It's his way of protecting us. Because here's what is always true about sin. It's our big idea. I hope you remember it. Sin is short-term pleasure that brings long-term pain. It's short-term pleasure that brings long-term pain. And we're going to see that illustrated in our story today. So if you have your Bibles, open it to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a lot of different passages today, and I'll be moving quickly later on and just ask you to read the verses from the screen. But if you have a Bible, either there at home watching on the live stream or here in our services today, Open it to John chapter 8, and we'll see the story that's the heart of the message together. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, as we start our story, both the when and the where are very important. Let me show you why I think that. It says, early the next morning. Well, How were the Pharisees able to come with this woman to put in front of Jesus and the crowd early the next morning? It had to be because they had been planning a well-orchestrated plot all night long to entrap Jesus and to discredit him in front of the people. So this was not something that was they happened to come upon this woman on their way to the temple. No, this was carefully 
planned out. And then the location, the where, is very significant. Back again at the temple. That location was intentional because the, the temple was the very place that Jews came to worship and to offer their sacrifice for sin. They would bring animals, innocent animals, to be sacrificed on the altar for their sins. And so if they could cause Jesus to stumble in his support of the the Mosaic law of sacrifice for sin, it would have been a powerful way to discredit him. But this place where the Pharisees had come all of their lives to sacrifice for sin, and probably the woman as well had come to the temple. So they're in a courtyard just outside the entrance to the holy place of worship where they had come with their sacrifices, and today she was the sacrifice. The Pharisees were seeking to sacrifice her at the altar of their pseudo-self-righteousness, and she is there that day on the ground before Jesus and the crowd, consumed with guilt and with shame. Pick up the story again, verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now we know the story and it's familiar, but let's just stop here and think a moment. How did that happen? I mean, did the Pharisees go around the night before peeking in people's windows? Ah, look what they're doing. I think we've got a candidate, guys. I mean, come on. How did that happen? It was a setup. It was an elaborate setup so that they could entice her to sin and then catch her in the act of sin. And so when they said she was caught in the act of adultery, that word rang out among the people. In our culture, the word adultery doesn't carry much emotional baggage. Because where previously there were some very clear lines of black and white, right and wrong in our culture, that's not really true anymore. Beginning with the 1960s and the moral revolution, there is so much today that is considered by a non-biblical culture to be acceptable and okay that, that it just, you say adultery, it doesn't mean anything. But in their culture, where they were steeped in their adherence to Jewish religious law, when you said the word adultery, it was a big don't. In fact, it made the top ten list of sins. You might have heard of it. It's called the Ten Commandments. And so when they said the word adultery, that word quieted the crowd. And a deep silence settled over the people. And as it did, smiles began to creep across the faces of the Pharisees because they were thinking in their mind about Jesus. Gotcha. We've got him now. We have backed him into a corner. He can't escape. Verse 5. 
The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Jesus could have argued that they weren't in compliance with the Jewish law because you may have noticed there's no man present here. And here's what the law says. Look with me on the screen, Leviticus 20.10. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. But they were so sure that they had Jesus because if Jesus sides against Moses and the law in the very shadow of the temple then he would lose all credibility with the Jewish people who surrounded him. Verse 6 makes their motives clear. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But then Jesus throws them a curveball. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now for centuries, scholars and Bible students have been wondering What was he writing? You know, you almost want to have a bone to pick with the Apostle John because you want to say, John, couldn't you have told us what he was writing? But truth is, we don't know. An old silent movie years and years ago called King of Kings, uh, in that scene, it shows him writing some of the secret sins of the Pharisees in the dust. Well, that's very intriguing, but the truth is we just don't No, but at least for a moment, it didn't stop them from pressing him for an answer. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now, here's what we need to understand. When you look in the Old Testament and you look at the Mosaic Law, and the judgment that is prescribed for those who violated the law of God. It is harsh and it is just. And so we have historical illustrations of what we would receive for our sin if we received the justice and judgment of God. God's divine justice against sin. And we even hear the word justice used a lot today, sometimes in settings that are completely erroneous. For instance, I heard this week as a a presidential candidate, I shall not name a candidate because I don't do that here, but one of the candidates was saying that abortion should not only continue to be legal, but that it should be paid for by our government and that not only that, We should have abortion clinics in close proximity to any woman who would want an abortion for any reason or no reason. And to fail to do so as a country, we are denying a woman, I think he called it, her woman's health, reproductive health, justice. Well, friends, can I just tell you, that's not justice. God's justice, however, is the righteous penalty for sin. And I don't know about you, but as I read through the Old Testament about God's righteous justice and judgment for sin, I don't want justice. 
Boy, that should be an amen because you don't want justice either. We don't want justice. We want grace. And Jesus came to replace the law with grace. And when it comes to meeting out righteous justice and judgment, only God has the right to do that. Yes, that sin and every sin deserves righteous punishment, but only a holy God, only the one true righteous judge has the right to dispense that kind of justice and judgment. And so he said to the Pharisees in their self-righteousness, which one of you is righteous enough to do this? He said, let the one who has never sinned. And think about it. In the very place that the Pharisees had come bringing their animals to the temple and the altar to be sacrificed for their sin. They had done this again and again and again all of their lives in the very place where they could hear the sounds of the animals in the background on their way to the altar. He said, let the one who has never sinned throw, throw the first stone. Verse 8, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. You could hear the stones fall from their hands and thud on the ground. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. She was left there alone with the only one who had never sinned. One who would become the Lamb of God. The one who would be sacrificed on that nearby hill called Golgotha. The one who would be our Lamb as she could hear the lambs bleeding in the background of the temple worship. And the sinless Son of God looked down on that sinful woman that day, not in condemnation, not in judgment, but in love and compassion. Jesus knew. Jesus knew the damage that sin had done to her and he had compassion for her. And it could be that some of you who are hearing this message today in the worship center or in Resonate or at home online, it could be that some of you, sin has made a wreck of your life or at least a part of it. And maybe you think that your sin is too much or you've gone too far or God can't forgive you and, and I want to say that the message for you from this story today is he loves you just as much as he loved the woman that day. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. 
go and sin no more. Jesus said don't sin because he knew the damage that sin could still do to her. And he said, I offer you a better way, a different way, a way in which I'll walk with you and love you and guide you and forgive you and never leave you. But if you keep on doing what you've always been doing, you will only make it worse. He didn't come to punish her. He came to rescue her because he knew what sin could do. It was true that day, it's still true today. Sin always comes with damages attached. Sin comes prepackaged with consequences to bring about destruction and damage and hurt in the lives of those. And like a fish attracted to a beautiful lure, there is always a hook that's waiting to entrap and to damage. Sin will damage your conscience. The more we sin, the more resistant we are to that voice in our mind that says you shouldn't be doing this. Sin will damage our mind. It will change the way we think so that we no longer know right from wrong as we once did. Sin will damage our future. It will take away God's blessings that he has planned to give us if we'll walk with him. Sin will damage relationships, and there are broken marriages and broken relationships between parents and and children and siblings and friends. Sin will damage relationships. Sin will damage your self-control. The more you give in to the sinful impulses of your heart and life, the less control that you have to resist apart from an intervention of God's Holy Spirit. Sin will damage your self-respect. When you do those things you know you ought not do, but you do them anyway, your respect for yourself becomes less and less and less. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, he was not trying to take something from her. He was trying to do something for her. He was trying to save her. The don'ts of Scripture are not to spoil your fun. They're to protect you. And if you hear this message and you think, well, this is not really for me because I, I, I don't really sin. I've certainly never done adultery. You know what? Anyone who would have that attitude shows they have a sin of pride. That's the very sin. The, the woman was the only, wasn't the only sinner in this story. The Pharisees were the bigger sinners. And the sin of pride was the sin of the Pharisees. In fact, and follow follow me as we look at these verses on the screen. 1 John 1, beginning with verse 8, says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. If we just chunk rocks at others, we need to look into the biblical mirror of our own hearts. But here's the good news. For those of us who are Christ's followers, you know this verse, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if you don't even know what your sins are, you say, I don't even know how to pray, guess at them. You'll get pretty close. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our 
heart. And then John goes on to say to the children of God, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen, this is so good. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Listen, grace is not a sin for free scam. Grace is the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God for those of us who are still sinners. We're just saved sinners. And Paul says and John says that he is calling us to a life as Christ's followers, not of sin but victory over sin. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. If you are a Christ follower, but you're still struggling with sin, let me just let you hear what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Say that out loud with me. For thou, now there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Verse 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That word translated earlier, advocate, literally in the legal context of the first century, refers to someone who represents the accused in a court of law. And what it's saying to us on a spiritual level is Jesus is our defense attorney in the court of heaven before the righteous judge. He is the one who represents us so that we are now acquitted. We are freed. You have been freed from the guilt of past sin. You are freed from the power of sin over you today. You have been freed from the penalty of future sin. So if you're living under the false guilt, under the condemnation of the enemy for past sin that's been forgiven, reject false guilt for yesterday's forgiven sin so that he can give you victory over sin today and tomorrow. So I say to you what Jesus said to the woman that day, go and sin no more. Live in the power of his forgiveness and his freedom. Freedom not to sin. Freedom to live to glorify God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to know that though we live in a world where the evidences of sin are all around us, and the power of sin seeks to entrap us. Help us to be 
aware of the truth of God's word today that says there is now no condemnation for those who know and follow Jesus Christ. Help us to have a determination that we shall move forward in our lives with determination not to sin, but knowing that in our weakness, if we do, we have a divine advocate, a heavenly defense attorney who represents us before the court of heaven. Thank you for God's people today. I pray that you would keep them, that you would watch over them, and that you would guard their health. And may we in these days of fear be witnesses to faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a good week.